Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Father Justin Matthews with Reconciliation Services. Welcome to the inaugural broadcast of The Social Leader. I am here today with a special guest. His name is Steve Gardner. I'm going to bring Steve on right now. Hello, Steve. Well, good morning, Father Justin. Yeah, thank you. Welcome to the very first episode of The Social Leader. Do you feel special because you're the first? I'm, I'm honored to be a guinea pig. You're mostly the first in your life. You're number one most times in your life, aren't you? Uh, if only. See, uh, I was I'll, the kid. I was the kid that was always picked last for the kickball in sixth grade. You were probably in in the captain category, weren't you? Eh, no, I, I I was probably somewhere in the middle. All I'm right, not, not captain worthy. Yeah. That you're still the first to me. Um, really glad that you're here. I uh, want to make sure everybody knows who you are, Steve is uh, not only a good friend and a volunteer at Reconciliation Services, but he is also the co-founder of a brand new company called SEJ Services. So let me uh, give people that website in case they want to go and visit that, sejserv.com. And uh, Steve is the co-founder of SEJ Services. We're going to get into a little bit about what SEJ Services is in a few minutes. Uh, but once again, I'm your host of The Social Leader. My name is Father Justin Matthews. I am with Reconciliation Services. You can find out more about this show's sponsor, Reconciliation Services, at rs3101.org. All right. Fantastic. Well, today uh, in this inaugural episode, we're going to be talking on The Social Leader about the best of business, faith, and philanthropy, which I call social venturing. We're going to be talking about social leadership and trying to get into what leadership looks like when social impact and social venturing is in the mix. And I brought Steve on because Steve has some amazing stories. He has a depth of experience as an entrepreneur and is just a fantastic friend and a regular volunteer here at Thelma's Kitchen and Reconciliation Services. So Steve, Let's just begin by giving people a little bit of information about who you are and uh, what you do and where you hail from here in Kansas City. Yeah, thank you, Father Justin. Um, so I'm uh, Kansas City born and bred, been here almost my entire life, which would be uh, 47 of my 50 years. I uh, lived in Phoenix for a few years, um, but I uh, uh, went to KU, China Mission South, uh, shout out to the Raiders. Um, and uh, I, I'm just I'm a Kansas City kid. Uh, traveled all over the world and around this uh, great country of ours, and absolutely love this town. Uh, married with four kids. You'll hear a, a couple of things about the kids a little bit later. Um, but uh, I've also got a consulting company uh, uh, that I've been doing for a while. Um, but the the SCJ services is something that has popped up as a direct result of COVID-19. Uh, we're actually, uh, we pulled together a group of entrepreneurs, Kansas City guys, uh, to uh, put together a company that is going to be able to deliver PPE in very uh, uh, significant and very large uh, numbers to hospital chains and communities around the country. Uh, where we're very committed to low margins, like very low margins, extremely low margins, um, and also uh, uh, donating 10% of our proceeds uh, towards the underserved communities that are in desperate need of PPE these days. So, yeah, uh, so that's, that's quick. I'm thing. excited to talk to you about that a little bit. Let's jump into why uh, low margins are important to you. I mean, there are a lot of people who are bringing personal protective equipment 
into the United States right now. And, and actually, I've heard horror stories even here in Kansas City. I was talking with um, some folks at the health department and others that they've been approached by companies that are selling PPE for the hospitals and are trying to compete with others coming in. But when they got the PPE or when they got under contract, things tripled in price all of a sudden, and there wasn't a lot of quality. Certainly, I haven't heard of any company that's talking about donating uh, personal protective equipment to uh, low-income communities. And, and of course, when we got connected, I was particularly interested in that because uh, I have about one mask that I've been <laughs> using and recycling. But, you know, Reconciliation Services and Thelma's Kitchen, we're here on the front lines at 31st and Troost, which if you're watching from out of town, that is the economic and racial dividing line in Kansas City. It's synom synonymous with that divide. And there are many, many people in Kansas City who really are struggling to survive and succeed. But the reality is also, as you know, Steve, that there are um, a lot of people in the homeless population and low-income populations that don't have the same access to hand sanitizers and even to basic hygiene. So to be frank, this PPE is really important for my uh, 22 staff that are on the front lines. We're still serving as an essential service. So why did you all decide to, number one, donate PPE for every sale and why did you get into the PPE business right now? Well, so a couple of reasons for that, Father Justin. Um, first of all, uh, I, I started seeing some of the same kind of stories that you're talking about, where uh, uh, communities and, and hospitals and, and the people who really need the PPE, um, they're really struggling to source it. And for the most part, it's been available and in warehouses in the U.S. Uh, and so now a lot of these groups, uh, in some cases for the first time, are now having to figure out how to source things from China. And while I personally don't have a lot of experience with that, uh, our team has extensive experience uh, with it, including uh, one gentleman who actually ran manufacturing for Hallmark uh, throughout Asia and China for about 10 years. Um, and so we've got a lot of experience working over there. And so we know how to get things into the U.S. and, and uh, do some good things with it. Um, for us, the, the low margin is not an overly complicated thing. This is not about opportunism. This is about we have a very real need in our communities and, and uh, in, a, in our nation. And people are not getting the PPE that they need. Um, and our healthcare workers are uh, you know, literally on the front lines and dealing with these kinds of things. Um, they should not be getting gouged and hit hardest uh, over things that are absolutely critically important. So it's really important to us that we maintain very low margins. And at the same time, um, we also very much recognize and, and in large part due to uh, some of the volunteering that I've been doing down at Thelma's and, and uh, really understanding the work of RS and, and similar types of organizations in other parts of the country. Um, the people that are uh, being hit the hardest right now are those that are in the economically disadvantaged uh, areas and, uh, and they really, really need the extra help. Um, and they can't just run down to the store and go pick up some stuff. So, so, uh, yeah. so we excited let's, to help with that. Let's talk a little bit about your volunteering, and and I really appreciate you sharing about the PPE. Of course, if anybody is interested and needs personal protective equipment, um, I'm very excited about the work that you're doing with SCJ because 
as I understand it, with every order that people make uh, as PPE is available, that you're going to be donating to Reconciliation Services. And through Reconciliation Services, we're actually going to be able to distribute that into low-income communities and certainly use it here in Kansas City as well. But what I want to talk a little bit about now, Steve, is just some of the volunteering. Even yesterday, you were in here. I think you're sporting a Thelma's Kitchen t-shirt right now. Yep. yep. Thank you. Uh, if you want to find out more about Thelma's Kitchen, you can go to thelmaskitchen.org there on the screen. But um, why don't you describe in your own words what Thelma's Kitchen is and then what you've been doing since the, the whole world kind of went on lockdown and all the restaurants closed in Kansas City? Yeah, so uh, Thelma's is really a, a pretty remarkable uh, uh, organization and a, a, an incredible opportunity. So um, Thelma's is basically, it is the, the first uh, donate what you can cafe in Kansas City, where, uh, you know, when people come in, uh, you can either uh, pay nine or $12, depending on the size of the, of the food. Um, and you can also donate more than that. Um, uh, understanding that about 70% of the guests are in a food insecure uh, situation. Um, so oftentimes when, uh, you know, when those folks are coming in and they're getting a meal, if they can't afford to pay for it, then they just trade out uh, 30 minutes of their time to, you know, bust some, uh, dip some tables and do some dishes and do some other things that just help the, the restaurant run. To me, one of the most remarkable things about Thelma's Kitchen is that there's really only two full-time employees um, that run and operate a restaurant <laughs> year round. And so uh, the amount of volunteer work is remarkable. And, and, and seeing the, you know, the Lunch on Me KC crowd, which if there's any organizations out there, once things get back up and running, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Lunch on MKC is a great program that Father Justin runs uh, where you can bring in groups up to 12 uh, from your team. And, and it's an amazing team building and, uh, uh, program. It's also, uh, you, you get a chance to learn a lot more about the economic uh, disinvestment along Troost and, and uh, culturally how that has uh, impacted the, the whole area. And now, so I didn't spend a lot of time down here on Troost before that, right. that I'm aware of. So one of the things that I'm interested in talking about on the Social Leader uh, show is what you've learned in how it's affected your leadership. So what have you learned? What have you seen? What have you heard since you've been volunteering at Thelma's Kitchen on Troost with Reconciliation Services? You know, I think a lot of it is it's really just about humanizing the statistics um, because like I, I, I like to think that I'm, you know, socially aware and, and cognizant of a lot of uh, issues that are going on. And, and I've been reasonably involved over the years and, and done some things. But when you are at Thelma's Kitchen and when you see the services that RS is providing and, and by the way, Operation Breakthrough and like there's a, a ton of amazing organizations that are doing amazing work. Um, but when you really see the story, the individuals and learn their stories, um, that puts a completely different spin on the statistics. You know, like we, we can throw the statistics about, uh, you know, inequality and, and diversity and equity issues and all kinds of things. But when you see it on a day to day basis and you really understand who these people are and, and really understand the value that they bring and, and their capabilities and uh, when you see that firsthand, that's a very different understanding. Um, and so to me, uh, just seeing the amazing work that so many volunteers and so many of your staff are doing on a daily basis and just getting to know some of these folks, 
um, it, it's been a, a, a tremendous gift for me um, just to get to know them. And, um, and I, I've really enjoyed that opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, Reconciliation Services, um, which is the organization that runs Thelma's Kitchen at 31st and Truth, the, the world is really, really different now than it was just a month ago for us. You know, on average, during lunch at Thelma's Kitchen, we would probably serve about 150 meals a day. And now we're well over 300 meals a day, but it's very, very different because instead of volunteering for a meal or taking donations in a Donate What You Can Cafe, now we've got tables at the front and uh, we're just giving away food, but we're trying very hard to keep that Thelma's kitchen quality. And so it's all fresh cooked every day. We have volunteer chefs as well as our full-time chef who's here. His name is Artis working in uh, Thelma's kitchen every day. We're cooking for the community. Um, I think yesterday we may have had um, some some really hot, fresh. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember what we served yesterday. All of a sudden, I'm blanking. Meat, uh, meatloaf. That's right. The meatloaf is really good. The meatloaf. And then is good. roast beef sandwiches, and then chicken salad sandwiches. <laughs> you know, and that's an interesting thing because we're actually you, you're never sure each day how many people will come. I mean, sometimes it's 220, sometimes it's 350, and because we're giving away the food, one of the things that I know that's really different is that I'm starting to see a very different crowd coming down. Um, normally, you've got a mix of everybody from working poor and low income or even homeless and CEOs and people working in the community. And the whole idea is really to bring people together in, in a unique way. But now, you know, it's not only the homeless that I'm seeing, but I'm actually seeing people who are just now getting um, laid off. There was a woman I talked to who was, um, I guess, a maintenance tech with one of the big law firms in town and she ended up getting let, let go. And there was another person I saw who um, was a painter and he's out of work. I mean, things are really shifting. And while I think there is hope and promise that we might emerge out of this at some point in time in the near future, uh, it's gonna be tough for a really long time. You know, Steve, one of the things I wanna transition to talk about is this idea of leadership and social leadership, because your experiences at Thelma's Kitchen, as well as other places where you volunteered and been involved with, have really shaped, I believe, uh, you've told me, the kind of perspective that you bring to your leadership, the kind of emotional intelligence, maturation that we're all seeking in our leadership. But I know that you had a story early on in your life where um, you really had a paradigm shift in your understanding of leadership and empathy. I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing kind of what formed your leadership now and share some of those stories. Sure. Yeah, you bet. Um, so uh, I've got four kids. I mentioned that uh, earlier. Um, two of them have a rare immune system disease, uh, which has caused a lot of issues. And, and one specifically, uh, uh, Josh, um, when he was 12 months old, he started uh, throwing up 10 or 12 times a day, horrible diarrhea 10 or 12 times a day. And from the time he was 12 months to the time he was about 26 months, um, uh, it, he was just crashing hard, falling off the growth charts, uh, literally would fall over on the floor and didn't have the energy to get up. Um, we were taking him to multiple hospitals and doctors and, and uh, trying to figure out what was going on. We literally had a doctor tell us that he didn't know what was happening and he was going to die and we needed to figure it out. And so uh, it was a very, very stressful time for us. Um, at 26 months, uh, we finally got him diagnosed. Uh, it's a disease called eosinophilic gastrointestinal disease. 
where essentially his body rejected all food as if it was an allergen. Um, and that's an oversimplification, but, but basically he was literally allergic to all food. Um, and so uh, fast forward, uh, shortly after he turned three, uh, we had him, uh, we, we got him on his first feeding tube, which was a nasogastric tube. So just right up the nose. Um, and that was a, a process. We went into the hospital, stayed overnight, uh, uh, not overly complicated, but this had already been a long medical odyssey for us and, and we were pretty exhausted. So my wife and I get him home and we are now at the point where literally he cannot eat any food. It's only ice. Mm. Um, so he says he wants to eat ice is what we would give to him. And so, um, so we're at home that night. My wife and I, like I said, we are emotionally spent. It's been a, a long couple of days, a long couple of years. And Josh is on the couch and he's kind of moping because he wants to eat something and we're telling him he can't. And so as my wife and I are preparing dinner, um, Josh is sitting on the couch and unbeknownst to us, our two older kids, uh, Hope and Brendan, who at the time were 10 and 8, went over to the refrigerator and got their own cups of ice and then went and sat down next to their brother and just ate ice with him. And so my wife and I turned around and we saw this and we lost it. I'm talking snot bubbles, falling, just absolutely losing control. Um, and it was in that moment that it was a, a very interesting two, two things happened there. Um, the first thing is that we, that was a very uh, strong uh, point that our lives had now changed and that we were going to have to redefine what normal was. We were going to have to find that new normal and we didn't know what it was. We didn't know what it was going to look like. We didn't know how hard it was going to be. We didn't know if he was going to live. We, we, we had a lot of uncertainty around that. But at the same time, the second point was that his brother and sister found in, them, in themselves mm -hmm. an opportunity to provide incredible compassion in a moment of tremendous vulnerability and tremendous weakness uh, for Josh and for certainly for his parents as well. And so... It was, it was a beautiful encapsulation of the pain and the challenge that goes along with all of this. And at the same time, the beauty that can be a part of the uncertainty and the fear and the chaos. And so that, that moment has really shaped me in a lot of ways uh, over the years, because every time something would happen that would be difficult, that would be challenging in some way, um, we would, I, I would routinely look back on that and recognize that, you know what, we're going to get through it. We don't know how, we don't know when, and we don't know why, um, but we're going to get through all of this and there's going to be some beauty along the way. And so mm -hmm. certainly when you now fast forward, um, I'm extremely excited to say that Josh actually just got his feeding tube removed, uh, uh last month. Um, and so he had that tube for 11 years um, and uh, it was a pretty profound experience. I won't get into details there, but that's an amazing uh, thing that we are still so excited about. Um, but as we sit here today, as we look at COVID and everything that that's doing, that's creating enormous uncertainty and fear and uh, uh, just concern about what is the future going to look like. And, and none of us have the answer. We don't know. Um, and we unfortunately have to sit in the I don't know moment for a little while longer. Um, and that's that's very, very challenging. But at the same time, it does create us create the opportunity for us to seek up, seek out those compassionate, beautiful things that are all around us, which 
you know, in a simple way, it's our family. It's the people that we're all locked up with <laughs> that, uh, you know, sometimes gets a little frustrating um, and sometimes a little bit uh, angry and there's a lot of other emotions attached to it. But the reality is these are the people that we are closest to and that we have the opportunity to connect with in deeper and more meaningful ways. And so on a personal level, that is a, a really significant lesson out of all of this. And then on a professional level, for me, that like, again, that's why we started SCJ Services, because we saw there is real uncertainty. There, there are absolutely a lot of bad actors out there who are doing some things that they shouldn't be doing, price gouging, all that sort of thing. And it is hurting our society um, because we are making it harder or more difficult, or in some times, some uh, ways, making it impossible for people to get the equipment that they so desperately need. And so we wanted to be a part of that, um, not so we can make a ton of money. It is for profit, I'm not gonna lie, but so that we can use that as a way to create opportunity and and most importantly, to give back to the, this community that is not not uh, getting the opportunities that they normally would. So um, so it's, it, man, we're, we're in the midst of a complicated time and it's scary and it's challenging, but there's a lot of beauty in it if we're willing to look for it. Yeah, I appreciate you unpacked so much in that one story. I want to dive in just a little bit and ask you to talk about how that experience where you saw your son who was in great pain and really suffering, when you saw your other kids sit down on the couch with them and uh, begin to eat ice chips and not eat dinner because he couldn't eat dinner and he was suffering so much. That kind of mercy and empathy that we see oftentimes in our children, sometimes even before we bring it out, really, um, I think, drives home the kind of vulnerability and empathetic leadership, all of that kind of stuff that we're talking about now in workshops and uh, in the corporate world. I'd love to know how that impacts you now as a leader, because a lot of us in leadership are doing the best we can, but then we get to a certain point where we want to grow in our leadership and we want to get underneath kind of the basics, lean startup and all of those kind of uh, things that, you know, that entrepreneurs and leaders talk about. We've all read those books, but what's really lacking is that that personal transformation very often. And when people have gone through that and are able to bring that transformation into their leadership, I call those people social leaders because oftentimes their worldview is so much bigger in the work that they're doing. They understand the impact that they're able to have. How did that experience of seeing your three children there next to your son on the couch um, change your leadership style in such a way that you've become really a social leader in Kansas City? So um, it's a complicated question um, uh, with a complicated answer, but I'll try to boil it down in a, a real simple way. So I think there's two primary pieces to that. Um, one of them is, is uh, it's around uh, getting control of your emotional state um, and recognizing that your emotions can take you down a, a really negative path and that can also spin up and, and have negative impact on the people around you. Um, so I, I think the first part of it is really understanding that. And, and for me, that really manifested in the sense that um, for three years, from, from the time that Josh was diagnosed, uh, the next three years were brutal. Like it was 
we, we kept a blog. It, <laughs> I've gone back and I've tried to reread it at times and I can't get through it. We had a boatload of challenges and tons of hospital visits and all kinds of things that were going wrong. Um, and it was really, really hard. And, and that had me in a place where emotionally I was so spun up in my emotions all the time it was very difficult to function in the real world. And, and unfortunately you have to, like we, we all have challenges that we're dealing with. We have to be able to actually just function and do, do what we need to do. And so for me, I, I, after three years of really just being in a difficult place emotionally, um, I had to make a decision that I was gonna stop living in my emotions all the time, certainly acknowledge them, be aware of them, but I can't let those rule rule me uh, as I'm moving forward. I think we're all getting caught up in a lot of negative emotions right now about a lot of stuff. Um, and those can can have a cascading effect that can be really, really negative on us. So I, I think that's kind of the, the first part of it is recognizing your emotional state, uh, being able to identify when you're in a negative emotional state and trying to pull yourself out of it and recognize that maybe that's not where I need to be. So I think that's a part of it. Um, the other, the other thing that for me was a really critical thing, and, and anyone who's, any of my friends, people have heard me say this a million times, um, I, not just with the health situations with the kids, we had a lot of stuff. I, I lost a business in, in the uh, Great Depression, or Great Recession, rather. Um, I'm not that old. Um, I, I, we had a lot of other really significant challenges that we uh, went through over the course of many, 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 many years. And, um, and if you ask me today, uh, you know, what I got out of all of that, at the end of the day, like one of my favorite phrases is that I have a perverse appreciation for pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is pain and suffering is it's it's a part of life. And it, it's not even at, at this point, I don't even look at it as something that we should be running away from or trying to avoid. We need to really learn to lean into the pain and suffering. Um, I will tell you that I am. Uh, I am, a, I think, a better person when I am suffering uh, because my priorities get straight. Um, I get much better about figuring out how things are. When things are going really well for me, um, I tend to think it's because I'm brilliant and amazing. Um, and that's not always the best space to be in uh, when it comes to relationships and, and friendships. I, it, I, I can go to bad places when I'm convinced that it's because I'm so smart and capable. Um, and so for me, pain and suffering plays a really, really important role. And it is a part of all of our lives. Like right now we are having a collective experience of pain and suffering that I think is really important for us to recognize. Um, this is a part of the human condition right now, this, this uh, social isolation. Um, it's something that we gotta deal with. And, and, but we're all experiencing this together. And so um, this is a, pain, a form of pain and it is a form of suffering. And for some people, this is really, really brutal. For some of us, you know what, it, it, it's not fun, it's not ideal, but we're gonna be okay um, and everything in between. But this pain and suffering, this is the good stuff. Um, when things are great, like, man, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, pain and suffering is coming into all of our lives in different ways. And my pain is different from your pain, from anyone else. Like we all have our own different pain and it's not about his is worse or hers is easier. Or it's not about any anything like that. Pain and suffering though is a real and important part of life. And I think that the more we can lean into that, um, that creates vulnerability. 
Um, and if you're going to lead people, if you're not vulnerable, you're going to have a very difficult time leading them effectively. If you cannot connect to people where they are at, like really where they're at, not just, oh, well, you were late today. Come on, you know, uh, do better. Like if you're if you're connecting on those very surface levels, that's not a real human connection. And at the end of the day, like I said, we are having a very human experience right now, a collective human experience. And we are all able now to hopefully provide a little bit of vulnerability into, hey, who this is who I really am. And these are the struggles that I'm having. And now let me help you. You know, let us all help each other. Like we've there's a ton of stories. I know people love to talk about the negative stuff. There are so many cool things where people are dropping their guard and they're opening up their hearts and they're connecting with people that they otherwise wouldn't have. And it's happening everywhere, all over the place. I think there's going to be some amazing positives out of uh, this whole experience. One very big picture thing, I'm actually kind of excited uh, where things are going to go environmentally. Um, we're seeing amazing impacts globally where communities that were just completely pollution filled um, are now clean. And so we are actually seeing the economic or the environmental impact that we are having on, in our areas, in our cities and in our in our countries. And that is a powerful tool that gives us an opportunity to really make meaningful changes and, and recognize the impact that we have. That doesn't happen without this pain and suffering. You know, a lot of families are broken um, and and sometimes it's really, really hard and and uh, and there's no easy way out of that sometimes. Mm -hmm. But this is giving us an opportunity to maybe heal um, and vulnerability is a great place to start. So um, so I, I, I do. I, I think it's pain and suffering. It's about understanding our emotions. And but it's also about uh, diving in and, and really leaning into the pain and suffering that we're dealing with. Yeah, I think you brought up something really important in terms of uh, developing and maturing as social leaders, as leaders, whether you're in a nonprofit context, you're an entrepreneur, or you're in the corporate world, even if you're a hiring manager, each of us has an opportunity to allow that vulnerability into our into our work. And when we do that, um, people see us in a way where we really change. Instead of just being a leader who is managing a process, we become somebody who really is interfacing with the people that we live and work with every day in a genuine way. And I love what you brought out about suffering. There's a saying that I love that that joy comes into the world actually only through suffering. And I think this human experience, this global experience that we're going through with COVID-19 has in it a hidden gift. And and that is that since we're all sharing a, a common suffering to one degree or another, we can all point back. Like when we can say, do you remember 9-11? Do you remember the assassination of MLK? Each generation has had something like that, but it's been a long time, I believe, since the world has been through something like this. And as minor as this may be as compared to a world war, thank God, it is something that intimates that kind of experience. And in a world that is so divided, where our leadership is so scattered and, and fragmented and our, our inner life is so, I would say, underdeveloped, this quarantining uh, of our person, of our family, of our companies, I think has a gift within it that can make us better leaders when we come to cultivate that inner life within us. We take time for silence and we make room 
for suffering and the experience or the um, the viewing authentically of the suffering of others. It's only through that, like you said, Steve, that that we really we can make progress. Um, I think that this kind of experience is going to create better retention in companies and nonprofits. It's going to separate the wheat from the chaff in many ways. And particularly if you're a millennial, I know from, from hiring a number of people that, you know, millennials in particular, but really all of us are looking for companies that are authentic, not just giving charity, not just having uh, diversity, equity, inclusion seminars and checking checkboxes. They're looking for those companies where this kind of vulnerability and emotional intelligence and the co-suffering love, if I can go so far as to say that, that kind of um, understanding is innate within the culture. And those people who I call social leaders are people who live that, breathe that, and advocating for that in their companies, in their families, and in this world. Steve, I want to just give you a chance before we wrap up here to let you share anything else that you'd like to. Again, really appreciate you coming on as the co-founder of SCJ Services, as a volunteer with Thelma's Kitchen every single week, and as somebody who's been a dear friend to me. Uh, if people want to find out more about your company, of course, scjserve.com. But um, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with, particularly with regard to becoming a social leader? Um, you know, I, I think that uh, one of the things that oftentimes we, we get hung up on is, um, well, but I'm supposed to do this or I'm supposed to do that or, well, my job requires this or that and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, I think to be a social leader, it, it's not necessarily going out and you know launching a new company that's going to have a social venture uh, component to it, or even the really big things. It's the little stuff that we can do on a day-to-day -day basis that makes us a social leader. It's interacting in our community, which is something that used to happen at a higher level than it does these days in some senses. Um, uh, but it's it's going to the grocery store, like truly a social leader. Go to the grocery store, pick up some food for your neighbor. You're being a social leader. Um, it's these little tiny things that we can do um, that uh, impact those that we are not directly responsible for or responsible to um, that really creates a very powerful society and one that uh, it's a community that we all want to be a part of. And I think we all kind of lose sight of it because we all have our phones in, in front of our face all the time. And we're living this online life that is only sort of real. Um, it's a little bit real at times, but um, a lot of a lot of aspects of that are not real. Um, but it also means that we are losing track of and losing sight of the people that are all around us. Um, we each one of us, we live where we live um, and we work where we work. We have communities of people all around us. Um, all of whom have times when they're going through difficulties. Um, they're all suffering at times, they, they all hurt sometimes. Um, and if we can just do a little bit of a better job of just connecting with them in their pain um, and just saying, hey man, I'm really sorry, that sucks. Uh, it, what you're going through is not a lot of fun, um, but I'm here for you. Um, just start connecting with people in those little ways. That is being a social leader. And so I, th I think we need to uh, take this as an opportunity to just kind of take a breath. <laughs> this is kind of the great exhale. <laughs> um, and now come up with uh, who, who do we want to be? 
Um, how do we want to impact the people around us? I, I, I know like for me, I've actually uh, connected with our neighbors a lot more than I have in the last five years. Um, that's not good on my part uh, that it took this to make that happen, but I've actually had some conversations with some people uh, uh, lately, which uh, is just different. Um, so just recognize wherever we're planted, we all have people around us that uh, we can reach out to, that we can impact in a small way. Like start by smiling at them, um, start by using a kind word, and then just let it build. And look, if you've got a bigger vision for how you want to impact your community and especially engage and involve the people that maybe don't have the same kind of opportunities a lot of us have, great. Awesome. Go do it. There's tons of resources for it. Um, Father Justin is an amazing social venture guy. Um, even though he's got that collar around his neck, he is a true entrepreneur. <laughs> um, and I've always been extremely impressed with uh, with everything that he does. But there are there are ways to get out there for us to go impact our communities right now. Well, so I, would uh, I think that I want to highlight again your company, SCJ Services, which is uh, available there at that website. Again, you guys are trying to get personal protective equipment right now into the hands of those who need it the most. And you're doing that without price gouging. You're doing that in a way with, as you said, low, low margins and trying to get it here as fast as possible, which is a part of your leadership. But then going even above and beyond that, as a for-profit company, you're doing more than charity. You're actually saying with every order that's made, we're going to give away some to reconciliation services and to low-income communities. Really grateful to have you on today. And uh, thank you for being the first on the first episode of The Social Leader. Uh, more to come for everybody. So thank you so much for being with us. And uh, I hope to see you again down here at Thelma's Kitchen really soon. You got it. Awesome. Well, again, um, Father Justin Matthews with Reconciliation Services, who is sponsoring this uh, episode of The Social Leader. You can find out more about Reconciliation Services at rs3101.org. You can also check out our first social venture, Thelma's Kitchen, right now just giving away hundreds and hundreds of meals every day to people who need it the most, but thelmaskitchen.org. Thanks for joining us. We'll be coming to you every single week. Next uh, broadcast, I'll be excited to introduce you to our former mayor, one of my favorite, favorite friends, uh, Mayor Sly James. So until then, I hope you're well. Let's all become social leaders. Thank you.